a famous atheist was flying home from a religious debate and was seated next to this little girl in the airplane. So he turned to her and he said, do you want to talk? Flights go quicker, you know, if you strike up a conversation with your fellow passenger. The little girl who had just started to read her own book looks up and says, well, what would you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there's no God, why there's no heaven and hell, why there's no afterlife? Okay, said the little girl. Those could be interesting topics. But let me ask you a question about something I'm curious about first. The atheist said, okay. So she said, um, a horse and a cow and a deer all eat the same stuff. It's just grass. But a deer excretes little pellets while a cow turns out a flat patty and a horse drops large clumps. Why do you suppose that is? So the famous atheist, a little taken aback, as you can tell, thinks about it a moment and then goes, "Mm, actually, I have no idea. To which the little girl replies, so do you really feel qualified to discuss God, heaven and hell, and what happens after you die when you don't know shit? I can get away with anything. (laughs) So I don't know about you, but that's pretty much how I've been feeling for a long time now, that I don't know much of anything. These past few years, there have been so many times when I have actually felt that we're simply adrift in a vast sea of grief while at the same time living in a kind of Alice in Wonderland, topsy-turvy world, or perhaps it's the stranger things upside down to be a bit more contemporarily relevant. Either way, I I constantly find myself thinking that we live at the exact same moment, both in a consumer heaven and a communal ethics hell. Consumer heaven? I was officiating at a wedding one Saturday last month at the Ojai Valley Inn, and I noticed this fabulous close-up mirror in the hotel room. It was so cool that the closer you got to it, the brighter it got. So all I did was I picked up my iPhone and I tapped a few strokes, and by the time I got home on Monday, lo and behold, that mirror was in my bathroom at home. Communal ethics hell Have you watched the news at any time in the past five years? So last January, my new favorite poet, Amanda Gorman, wrote in the New York Times, if you are alive, you are afraid. If you're not afraid, you're not paying attention. The only thing we have to fear is having no fear itself, having no feeling on behalf of whom and what we've lost whom and what we love. 
Fear can be love trying its best in the dark. So do not fear your fear. Own it. Free it. The truth is, hope isn't a promise we give. It's a promise we live. Indeed, hope is a promise we live if we're brave enough to hope in spite of the headlines on any given day in America. In the first 200 days of 2022, we averaged 13 mass shootings a week. A week. Well over 400 mass shootings since the start of the year. Hope is a promise we live if you're brave enough to hope in spite of the, what, 6 million or something deaths from COVID across the world or the 40,000 deaths in America just last year from automobile accidents alone or the estimated 100 deaths in the U.S. last year from overdoses alone. Should I go on? No, of course not, because we all know these realities They remind me of what one theologian wrote, which was, in the end, all great spirituality is what to do with our pain. So here we are, our annual collective wrestling with our pain, both private and public, our High Holy Days services. And once again, we're here both in person and online, precisely because we are brave enough to hope. In fact, Judaism pretty much invented the very idea of hope. We ate manna in the wilderness. What I like to call the manna principle was that you could only collect enough manna for one day. If you tried to collect more than one day, it turned rotten. So we learned from the very inception of Jewish civilization about hope and faith, that all we can ever do is live one day at a time and have the faith that there will be enough tomorrow to continue life's journey together. Psychologist Dr. Edith Egger is an expert in PTSD and an Auschwitz survivor herself. She taught hope is two things. The awareness that suffering, however terrible, is temporary, and the curiosity to discover what happens next. Many years ago, in my naive youth, I remember my amazement when I read that Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, on his 90th birthday, was asked why he was reading Plato, and he answered, to improve my mind. At the time, I remember the wonder of someone not only achieving 90 years to be alive, but having enough faculties and interests to still be reading Plato. Well, I thought a lot about that quote this past year, and I literally laughed out loud because yesterday, Didi and I were in Sacramento with my family celebrating my own mother's 100th birthday, which is going to take place two days from now. Thank you. So when Frank Buckle turned 100 and people asked him his secret, he replied, when you feel like you're going to die... Don't. (laughs) You probably remember when Norman Lear famously turned 100 this year, he wrote, the meaning of life can be summed up in one word, tomorrow. Which goes along with his one piece of advice that 
clearly stands out above all the rest. He said, there are two little words we don't pay enough attention to, over and next. So what about my mom? What has she been doing this past 100th year of her life? Studying Spanish. I I know. Oh, and the books next to her chair that she's been reading this year, I took a snapshot of them the other day. They are... Huma Abedin's Both and A Life in Many Worlds, Jamie Raskin's Unthinkable, Trauma, Truth, and the Trials of American Democracy, Amy Tan's The Opposite of Fate, and Sonny Hostin's Summer on the Bluffs, among others. So how can I not talk about my mom today and the lessons I've learned from her as we start this new year and she starts her 101th year on this planet? My mom... Betty Sylvia Salter Rubin is quite simply a phenomenon. She's lived a lifetime of community service and social activism. One of my most vivid childhood memories is as a little boy joining her walking precincts in Santa Monica as she was knocking on doors and encouraging people to come out and vote in some primary. Almost 70 years later, just a few months ago, She enlisted me once again, this time to help her as she wrote 60 postcards to send to some purple state to encourage folks to show up and vote in their primary as well. The more things change, you know. So when we moved to Sacramento in 1965 from Santa Monica, where, by the way, I just finished 10th grade right here at Samohai, she, of course, immediately became active in our local synagogue, got on the board, was like, I don't know, president of everything, and was an organizing founder of something called the Committee of Concern to Fight Hunger and Poverty in the Community. <clears throat> then she served for over 10 years as the California Public Affairs Chair for the National Council of Jewish Women, lobbying the legislature in Sacramento every day on issues related to women and children and the disenfranchised of society. Believe it or not, just last year, literally just last year, she was the featured speaker at the NCJW installation in Sacramento once again. Oh, and she created this outreach program called Touch of Shabbat that for almost 30 years delivered chicken soup and challah and applesauce each month on Shabbat to housebound AIDS patients. The uh, honorary Daryl Steinberg formerly the leader of the California Senate and currently the mayor of Sacramento, wrote about my mom, countless children, teens, families, and elders have had their lives made better through the direct efforts of Betty Rubin. I've known her for over 30 years, and she has been my role model for public service, inspiring me to ensure there's a voice for those who are disenfranchised and underprivileged. So imagine growing up with my mom as my mom, For me and my three sisters, it was kind of like being the caboose on a fast-moving freight train. Actually, I always thought of my mom as the real rabbi of the family. Had she been born in a different time, rabbi for sure. My entire life to this very day, this very last Friday night, Mom lights the candles on Shabbat by closing her eyes and spontaneously creating a prayer for our family and community and those in need that is powerful, inspiring, and breathtaking in its scope, something that, frankly, 
I could only aspire to emulate myself. Okay, so here they are. Ten lessons I've learned from my mother that inspire me every day and have always reminded me of perhaps her most important lesson of all, which I'm sure you've heard me say already often, that the most important things in life are never things. They're always, always people and how we can touch their lives with meaning and purpose. Now, I'm not suggesting that you or any of us should try to be just like my mom. We are all one of a kind. She did it her way, and it's up to you to do it your way, your way to be Jewish or your way to be a parent, to be a friend, to to be you, frankly. For you're a -a one-of-a-kind, unique human being on the planet, never before existing, never again existing. And so your way is the way to be authentically you. But here are the lessons she taught me, and you can take from them what you will. Lesson number one, show up. Show up when it's hard. Show up when it isn't easy. Show up when it hurts and is challenging. Show up when it matters. Whether as a parent volunteer at school or den mother for Cub Scouts or campfire girls, I have three sisters, remember, on the board or as president of every organization from Jewish Family Service to the Synagogue Sisterhood to Community Relations Council or simply to sit by the bedside of a friend in the hospital or at a shiva or delivering food to friends and strangers in need show up. Lesson number two, family isn't about biology or genetics. It's about choice. After my biological father died and my mother remarried, I inherited a new father and my oldest sister. Both parents then formally adopted each other's kids, and then together they had my youngest sister. And throughout our lives together, my mother ferociously taught us and anyone else who ever came in contact with the Rubin family that we were always, always one family, indivisible, bound together by what really mattered, not biology, but love. Lesson number three, we too often love things and use people when we should be using things and loving people. My mother epitomizes something that James Baldwin once said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Our job is to stand up for what is right, whether it's popular or not, and do something to make the world and people's lives better because that's why we were born. Lesson number four, lifelong learning isn't simply a slogan, it's a way of life. Along with those books I mentioned before and the hundreds of others that she reads every year, when she was about 50, she went back to college, got a bachelor's degree in behavioral science, and then a master's degree in early childhood education, taught a Head Start program, ran a preschool, and then taught early childhood education to aspiring teachers and educators at Sacramento City College. That has been my education role model throughout my life. And lesson number five is my motto that you've heard over and over again. Naturally, I really learned it from my mother. And it became my my personal passion, my personal purpose in life to inspire people to know that what they say matters and what they do matters and who they are matters. That's how my mother has lived her life every single day for 100 years now. 
Lesson number six, it is when tragedy strikes that you most powerfully discover the irreplaceable blessing of true friends and the gift of community in your life. When my first father died at age 38, it was friends and the Jewish community that showed up for my mother and for my sister and me as small children of six and four to teach us just how resilient the human spirit can be in the face of adversity. Frankly, a lesson we can all use today, given the world we live in in 2022 as well. Yes, of course, my mother learned from her mother, who was born and raised in London, the famous British motto, keep calm and carry on. Although when I was in Florida this summer, I saw a t-shirt that said, I can't keep calm, I'm Jewish. (laughs) Lesson number seven, the transformational power and grounding gift of ritual. My entire childhood, every Friday night, 6 p.m., my sisters and I would be without fail sitting at our Shabbat table to recite the blessings. Ritual held our family together through the trials and tribulations and the triumphs and the successes in good times and bad. The spiritual and emotional bond of being part of something greater than yourself that stretches back thousands of years with wisdom and tools for living a life of meaning is a precious spiritual inheritance was my mother's gift to us. And frankly, it's this synagogue's gift to you always as well. Lesson number eight, you can change your life by changing your choices. And Frank famously said, our lives are fashioned by our choices. First, we make our choices and then our choices make us. My mother lived by example that circumstances don't define you. Your life choices do. And every day is another opportunity to choose once again. Join a synagogue and reap the rewards of connection to community, as my mother did the minute we arrived in Sacramento, or not. Continue your education at any age, as my mother did, or don't. Volunteer with organizations that improve the lives of children or those unjustly incarcerated or those crushed by poverty or systemic discrimination or any other number of people who struggle physically or spiritually or mentally. And like my mother, your choices will add purpose to your life and can uplift the lives of others as well. Lesson number nine True love isn't expressed merely by what you say, but even more importantly, by what you do and how you act every single day with the ones you love. To this day, my mother is the best thank you note writer on the planet. Yes, even better than Jimmy Fallon. For every gift, every thoughtful gesture, every visit, every activity, service, or occasion, she eloquently expresses her love and gratitude by hand for the blessings that she still says fill her life every day. Finally, lesson number 10, ask my mom and she will tell you that even living 100 years is actually just living one day and then another one day. And then if you're lucky, another one day. So she will say, make this day count because it's literally the only day, just today, to fill with family, with friends, with meaning, with magic, 
with gratitude, with love. It's the wisdom of the traditional Jewish morning prayer that we recite each morning upon waking. Thank you, God, for the gift of this new day, for returning my soul to me once again, and for having faith that I will make this day matter. So I close, of course, with a story. The first McDonald's opened in Moscow in 1990. Many months of training preceded the grand opening where they were taught to, quote, welcome the customers. Now, if you've ever been to Russia, as I have, you will immediately realize that this was truly a foreign idea to both the workers and the folks walking in. So the workers were trained to convey this McDonald's welcome message, and the Russian for this translated basically like, your arrival here is pleasing to us. Okay, McDonald's did, in fact, become wildly successful. But the historic lines of Russians standing outside in the cold just to get in turned out wasn't for the fries or the Happy Meals. The lines became long because customers would not leave. They wouldn't leave the place once they were inside. And when asked, they said the reason was the welcome. Well, that pretty much captures my mom. Everyone feels her welcome. Every day, in every way, with everything she says and everything she does. Remember, it was the 12th century Sufi poet Hafiz, who when asked, what's the meaning of life, what's our purpose here, answered, when all your desires are distilled, you will cast but two votes, to love more and to be happy. That is the true lesson and legacy that even after a hundred years, my mother gives us every day, to love more and to be happy. And that's the blessing I give from her to all of you on her 100th Rosh Hashanah birthday. Shana Tova Mituka for a sweet and beautiful new year. And oh, since my mother is actually watching this from Sacramento, I hope you like that. Happy birthday, Mom, from everybody in the congregation as well. <clears throat>